You're listening to Rabbit Trails. All right, so here we go again. Yeah. Um, two rabbits <laughs> are literally on the trail. We're literally on the trail. We're in yeah, the car. In the car. Not in our, yeah. not in our usual studio. No, in, our, in our soundproof mobile studio. Mainly because there's aircon, which is pretty... Fabulous. Mm, particularly when you got fur. <laughs> we set it's rabbit trails. We're not actually rabbits, just in case someone was wondering. Oh. I thought I was. <laughs> I identify as a rabbit. Okay. So new episode topic. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you had something you were thinking about and then you were like, Okay, we didn't even talk about it. This is gonna be completely spontaneous. Spon- spontaneous. Yeah, so um, I've just been doing a lot of study um, recently on just how God um, framed society, set up society, framed it for for prosperity. And um, particularly what got me thinking about it was his giving of the Ten Commandments to the Israelites and, and to the world, actually, through Israel. And uh, just how huge an impact that that has made on the world, mm. um, as you mm. you know, as you unpack the implications yeah. of uh, of each commandment as you go along. So yeah, I've just been. I mean, that's not crazy. Just from the perspective of I'm doing history with little mystery at the moment, my baby sister, and reading some some like kind of your basic basic history, story of the world, your Mesopotamia, and all of that. And you kind of look at some of the practices and the things that went on in that time, and you look at it and you're like, oh my word, like that's barbaric, you know, like how could people do that to each other and all of this. And then recently, actually, saw I can't remember what it was, or some some comment somewhere online. It's all the good, all the weird comments you find, but someone was like, yeah, no, you know, you can't judge history on today's moral compass. Mm-hmm. And I was like, it's a very interesting thought because obviously, if you don't believe in God, you don't believe there's a God. That is a very real um, thought pattern. However, I was looking at it, and I, and I look at the Ten Commandments, and I look at the law, and even the things in the Old Testament that God set up and said to the Israelites, "Do this, don't do this." It's so scientific in a pre-scientific age, and it's so moral in um that what we are what we are like yeah don't kill that's a good law to have you know like thou shalt not murder wonderful like it's like it's like a bit of a no-brainer in this day and age but in 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 that time when you go back it's like well no one had told them anything about it you've got something i want well i mean the reality is the reality is you don't actually need to go back to mesopotamia to find (laughs) cultures where the uh injunction against killing was not actually a thing. I mean, literally, you can go back a hundred years, or literally, um, you know, in today's day and age, "Thou shalt not kill" um, is a commandment that we no longer apply to people who are in the womb. Yeah. And um, you know, it's a it's a huge, huge it's a huge problem. gap in our modern uh, in our modern world, where actually we. Uh, no longer apply that to certain classes of people, which is what, which is what has happened all the way through history. Yeah, it's it's like, you know, thou shalt not kill, except the Jews. 
Yeah, or thus, like, as soon as you start looking at a certain group of people and dehumanizing yeah. them. So, for now, what we're doing that, I think, in, in the abortion debate, where people are like, yeah, but they're not really human. They're not fully human. Mm. They like humans, but they're not exactly they're like They're potential humans. humans. They're potential humans, or they're some kind of subspecies. Mm. Just take a moment in your own brain right now and just think it back. In history, this is the exact same argument that excused the Holocaust, that slavery. excused slavery, racism. I mean, so many things all all throughout the world with many different races and different people. It's the same argument. It's now it's rearing its ugly head again with the unborn. And um, the sad thing is, is the whole of human, the whole humanity hasn't learned their lessons. They're just going on with it and being like, oh, well, it's fine because yeah. they're not like us. So let's let's just. Let's just scroll back um, to the Ten Commandments because I love the way the Ten Commandments, in many ways, um, they're so foundational to our way of thinking um, in the West, the civilization that has been uh, built. Mm. But they go back to a particular place. And so I was I was thinking about the fact that, you know, pre-God um, calling the Jews out of Egypt and gifting the law, um, to the Jews, the prevailing worldview at the time was a worldview that was both cyclical and human-centered. So time uh, in, in a pagan culture is seen as cyclical. And um, if you look from the vantage point of the earth, that makes sense. You know, the sun rises in the uh, uh, in the east and sets in the west. Have I got that the right way? Yeah. It rises on one side and it goes down <laughs> on the other side. Thank you, Jess. That's so helpful. Well, so, it sets right over Clifton Fourth Beach, if that's any help for you. Not really. If you want to sunrise, Musenberg Beach, much better option. Thank you. Okay, yeah. well, pressing on. It <laughs> rises on one side, sets on the other side, but then it rises again on the same side. And, and, and days just have that pattern. Same with the months. And then, of course, we have the seasons, you know, um, spring and summer and autumn and winter and then spring again. So and and so, so the, the ancient mind saw life as a cycle. Yeah. And, um, and there was no real sense of, um, you know, you, you, you were born, you lived, you died. And then in each new generation was seen as a rebirth. And they saw that cycle. So there was like, so if I suppose if you're thinking of time in like the loop like that, mm -hmm. there's no potential for building anything exactly. necessarily because you, to be able to think of like, you have to think of time stretching on in like a straight line forever and ever that what you build is going to be left there for your kids to build onto, your kids to build onto, your kids to build on, mm. rather than something that just plays on a loop. It has to be something continuous. So out of that comes the potential for progress. You know, the, the idea of if time, if time is linear and time is moving, someone has got a destination, comes the concept of, of progress. And then the other thing about it was, is that everything was man-centered. And, and you see, the interesting thing is about that, if you build culture on man-centered, the, the, the ultimate question comes down to which man? Yeah, that's good. Which guy? Which guy? And and so which guy is the guy? Yeah, which is the guy? And at the uh, at um its best, a man-centered culture 
um, will have, you know, num uh, will have lots of different uh, uh, polarities, lots of different perspectives. At its worst, it's got one guy, which is dictatorship. Mm. And so the ancient world did tend towards dictatorship and uh, everything. But that's so interesting also just looking at, um, um, maybe jumping around in the Bible a bit, but actually if you look in your like your king, your chronicles and kings, mm. where um, where God was grieved when Israel asked for a king because mm. he wanted to be their judge, he wanted to be their king, and then that's a God-centered civilization. But then as soon as they had kings, Israel, because it was then – bit more man-centered, mm -hmm. then Israel was at the mercy of a good king, a bad king, a bad king, a bad king, a good king, a mm. good king, a bad. And actually the fate of Israel and the people actually went around because there was a, that bit of a dictatorship that was centered around a man. And then there was mm. one man that was the man. And then the and then depending on who that guy was, whether he was following the order, he wasn't, what, what, kind of, what kind of the man he was, mm. actually the civilization, the people around him rose and well. Exactly, and so and so you you end up with a situation where actually you get a choice between being ruled by God or ruled by uh, by man, mm -hmm. and that essentially we've got pretty much the same choice today. But mm -hmm. into that God comes, and I love the the story that we have in uh, in the Bible, how actually Israel did not choose God. God chose Israel. Mm. God calls Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldeans and out of this, and the Chaldean actually literally means moon worshippers. And, you know, it's a good picture of a cyclical culture, you know, where the, they worship the, they worship the moon mm -hmm. as, um, as God, which, which is actually pretty endemic to most pagan uh, cultures and um, calls Abraham out of that and then he gives him a vision of his destiny and his future and he says Abraham look up at the stars interestingly enough um, he would have grown up in a culture that worshipped the stars and the moon and he says look up the stars so shall your descendants be and he paints a picture of the future for him but he calls him out and then through him calls out um he calls out israel and calls him out, uh, out of egypt and then he gives them these 10 commandments and the significance of them had just been really striking me in uh in deuteronomy chapter 6 he said there's this statement that says the lord you shall worship the lord your god and only him the lord your god is one mm -hmm. and that's the profundity of that statement is so massive that we don't realize it but basically what he is saying he's saying there's one god mm -hmm. and when you realize that there is one god that means there is one truth yeah. not many competing truths but you see when you say there is one truth another way to say that is there is truth yeah that's good there is truth mm -hmm. and that's actually Probably, I think, the biggest challenge in our culture at the moment. Ultimate truth. Ultimate truth. Um, is truth absolute or is it relative? Because if there are many gods, then truth is relative. And if, they, if truth is re relative, it's not true. Well, exactly. Well, it's not absolutely true. It's that question of like, 
well, there's my truth and there's your truth. Exactly. My truth and your truth. And you're like, okay, so then are you saying that there's no such thing as absolute truth? To which the person would reply, yes. You know, there's no such thing as absolute truth. It's just your truth and my truth. And then you would respond, well, is that absolutely true? Exactly. That there is no absolute truth. Exactly. And then you're in the conundrum of like, well, if am I is, right about, about am I, is it true that there are multiple truths? And is that absolutely true? Yeah. You know, it's, Is it's that really truth difficult. absolutely true that there's no such thing as an absolute truth? Because if it is absolutely true that there's no absolute truth, we have found one thing that is absolutely true, which negates the entire, the entire argument. argument. So there has to be something that is true. And I think, like, I look around in the world today because that's just so prevalent everywhere. And I think in some ways it's well-meaning from I don't want to cause an argument or I don't want to, you know, I don't want to rock the boat. Or exactly. Do they, they, yeah. They're trying to be kind. However, what I've looked at the effects of it, this is what I think, it it breeds anxiety. Because what happens is, I think, to people is that, what do you base life on? You, you, what we have to do as human beings is we, we're trying to ground ourselves on something. We have to find something real, something true, something that gives us meaning and purpose. And you'll look, pe- people will look for that, look for something to put their life in that's not going to shake around and change. Mm-hmm. So they'll look for it maybe in like a secure relationship. No human relationship is unmovable. It will go up and down with life, and you'll find your mood, your happiness, security, meaning, and purpose going up and down with that thing. Same thing in a job, um, in friendships, in experiences, in money, all of these things. It, life's like that. It kind of rolls with the tide. And so people look for something to actually put themselves in. Hmm. And if if you can't even know in your heart that there that there is truth that there is something immovable then even your reality like the reality around you is malleable mm-hmm. and i think that breeds extreme anxiety because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow you don't know what there's nothing that you like if everything else falls down i have this one thing and i know this one thing will always be there you can't even put that on truth well you see and even 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 broader than that the whole of our modern world, and by that I'm using it in the very loose sense of the world of today, um, was built on the idea that there is one God. Mm. Because in actual fact, when you make the statement, there is one God, you're saying there's a truth that's bigger than me. Mm. But then as you dig out, as you and continue in the story of the Bible, God says something quite extraordinary at one point. He says, he says, come to man. He says, come, let us reason together. Mm-hmm. Now, the interesting thing is about that is it implies that the God of the universe is rational because he's offering to, re- to reason with you. So he's re- there, there's reason. But it also implies that you're reasonable, that man is reasonable, so that man made in the image is reasonable. And so what that did for the ancients is that we began to see that because there's one God and because there's truth, this universe and creation can be known and reasoned out and we can and we can discover things about it that are true. 
And that's actually the mindset that gave birth to science. Yeah, because, I mean, the thing is, is <laughs> you have to build your life on something. Mm. You have to build it on something, um, something that's not going to go anywhere because you need a fixed point. Use a fixed point in your life that you're like, okay, that's why a house has a foundation. It's why tre trees have roots and they it actually had built something that is stable and can hold and support weight. Um, and I think it's the same with us and how we built. You have to base something. You have to put a foundation into something that is not going to move because then you can reason out from that point. Exactly. So it's like, yeah. okay, well, I if I know nothing else, I know this one thing. And then from that, then then because I know this is true, then I know this is true. And because I know this is true, then I know that is true. Because I know that and so on and so on. Um, it's like, I mean, for me, you can look, okay, I know that God is true. Yeah. I know that God is true. I know that God actually is truth. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Because I know God is true, I know his word is true. So I will base, okay, what does the Bible say about this? If I'm facing a, a choice or um, like a crossroads, a situation, something, I go back and I'm like, well, even if I feel like I should go this way, this looks this, I, I should go this way or I should believe this, I go back to what is true. I go back to the Bible. I go back to what the word of God says. And I say, okay, well, if this is true, what the Bible says, then no matter how much I feel mm. like going down this mm -hmm. road, mm -hmm. it's untrue because my fixed point is not my feelings. My fixed point exactly. is the word of God. And I think because truth in the world today is so based on what people feel is true inside of them, it's like, just go with, go with what you feel, go with your heart. Have you ever, have you like, whoever would want to build a house on a feel on feelings? Can you imagine that? Like imagine, feelings go up and down like there's no tomorrow. Imagine giving that instruction to a five-year-old, like when it came to dinner, you know, like, hey, what do you feel like for uh, for dinner? We we're just going to bring up our children um, to do whatever they want and to eat whatever they want whenever they want. Although to be honest, some people have tried that experiment, and it hardly ever works out well. Um, in fact, it, it, it never works out well, but it's the same thing in culture. But, you know, I, I'm struck by I'm struck by the original temptation that Adam and Eve faced in the garden because it comes back to this. <laughs> yes, food, exactly. Um, same, babes. I remember, side note, I remember being very young and being like, oh, you know, I can't believe like Eve and Adam and Eve, they mucked it up for the rest of us. And then I remember having this revelation of like, listen, if someone came around with a good looking cupcake, what would you do? And be like, you know what? I can see your point. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, obviously we know that the temptation wasn't the fruit. It was like the knowledge and that that is, and we know theologically that this is like, it was just funny. <laughs> like snake comes with a good piece of cheesecake. I'm like, whoa! <laughs> yeah, snakey, snakey, snakey. <laughs> so pressing on for a for a serious theological point here. The the temptation in the in in Eden was essentially, are you going to um 
submit yourself to God's word, to be allied to him and have him um, as the sovereign over your life? Or are you going to choose to become like God mm. and shift your allegiance to yourself, essentially? Yeah. And Pride. you will know, you will know what's uh, good and evil. And, you know, it's essentially, it was between following God and humanism, yeah. which and in, in the end is just actually, it ends up being another word for Satanism. Because the, when, you, when you make it all about your, uh, yourself, um, they, they say the, the fundamental tenet of Satanism is do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. You know, Alistair so Crowley's great um, maxim. And that, that literally comes down to making your truth, your individual truth. And that's, that's the thing. So and what ends up happening. And you down to pride. Yeah, that is. That is pride. That is pride. And essentially, it's a having a unipolar world where actually God is my reference. And then suddenly you are, the world is not only multipolar, but millions of polarities mm-hmm. where every person is his own God. And it's, uh, it's anarchy. And, but the gift of knowing, no, actually, it's not everyone's opinion. It's that's what's true. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, even if every person in the world says gravity does not exist, and we chanted in, uh, in unison for three years, you jump off the top of a building. Splat. Splat, yeah. Mm-hmm. Truth is not a democracy. Yeah. That even if your truth is that gravity does not exist, and you can believe that as much as you want to, mm. you'll hit the ground at the same speed as Anybody as anybody else. Mm-hmm. They'll just be an interesting soundtrack while you do it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's quite, I remember you, we were talking about this quite a while ago. We were talking about how if everyone is their own God, everyone is their own ruling system, everyone has their own truth. What's to say, you know, that then, then how do we, how do we rule? What, how do we, how do we set up systems and governance systems? Because, okay. You are now mayor. Why are you mayor? Mm. Why do you get, why mm. are you, what makes you and your truth greater than my truth? Because then mm. you have to ask this question. And to do that, then what happens is it doesn't, the people on top, if mm. we say that way, or like the people that are, are governing, it's not about what is true and doing something, okay, what is the objective and ultimate truth here? It's about who had the loudest voice and the Who's most got the power. most power, exactly. And then people start vying for power and getting their, their voice loud and loud, and they don't care on stepping on whoever else to mm. get up to the top and to shout their voice louder. And what's so interesting, um, I was listening to a talk quite a while ago, and they were also saying this thing about ultimate truth. And they were saying how, okay, what? Okay, do not murder. Let's go extreme, shall we? Why? 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 Why should I? Why should I not murder? What is governing you? In that? You know, well, it's a good idea, this, that. But what if I've got a good argument? What if I need mm. this? What you know? What if I have a different truth? I have a different story. I have a different perspective. What if I've got a very good reason? You know, why? Then why is my opinion on this any less than your opinion that's saying do not murder? What if that person is inconvenient? 
exactly. Like all of these things. Or very Why? small. Exactly. Like it, like or it, or living in living in an inconvenient location. Exactly. And so it's like, well, why? And we are there like, well, most people, what's interesting is people say, because it, it violates something inside of you, I think, as a human being, yeah. it, you're like, no, that's wrong. And I think that's actually something that, you know, that God's given us inside of us. But yeah, he conscious. made this point, which I found so interesting. He's like, okay, if you're going to say, okay, no, it's wrong, uh, murder is wrong, killing people is wrong. He said, well, then you have to reconcile that with the um, the theory of evolution and survival of the fittest. Mm. He said, if you're going to take God out of life, then you, you've taken God out of creation, you've taken God out of truth, then you have to reconcile this whole thing of my truth, your truth, why is murder wrong, why, why what is truth is based on, you have to reconcile that with survival of the fittest. Mm -hmm. Where was that, where was, oh let's be concerned, where does the protection of the minorities, that innate thing in people that's like, hey, let's let's care for, or like where does that thing come on, like hey, let's care for the the people that are down and out, the widows and the orphans, like, let's do that. No, if you want to take God out of truth and creation, then then you're literally going by the loudest voice and who has the most power. Exactly. And that leads to survival of the fittest. Yeah. It literally leads to, I will I will do what I need to do to get on top. Well, you see, this is this is the interesting thing where we are today, is that... Um, Many people trace much of the freedom that we see in the world today, and we do. I mean, um, for large parts of the globe, the level of freedom and liberty that vast numbers of people have is unprecedented in all of human history. Many of the, many people trace one of the key turning points in that journey um, to the Magna Carta being signed um, in Britain in. Uh, in the 1200s, I can't remember the exact date right now, but um, King John was forced by his his barons to uh, to sign the Magna Carta. And the interesting thing is, when you read the Magna Carta, it does not come across as this, you know, uh, emancipation of the slaves kind of document or you know this uh, American Constitution document. In many ways, it comes across as a, a document that um, is quite selfish. It's enforcing the rights of the nobles against the king, etc., etc., etc. But the, th the reason why we see it as a cornerstone of liberty is in, no matter what's written in it, it enforced this principle, um, that the principle of lex rex as opposed to rex lex, and meaning lex law, Rex, the law is king, as opposed to the king is the law. Mm -hmm. And it enforced the principle that actually all people, including the king or including the government, stand beneath the law, mm -hmm. the law, the law of God, that there's truth that the universe is based mm -hmm. on. And from there, it rolls out to, uh, to uh, greater and greater freedom. Um, uh, in, uh, in nations yeah. and that's the principle but if there is no law in the universe and if there is no God there is no law in the universe yeah. the only alternative is actually Rex Lex the one with the most power yeah. is the one who it's gets the to make, uh, make the law so and true. then anything 
the government says is right, yeah. is uh, is right. Yeah. And actually, you can see how societies have have pulled in either direction. Where I mean, in the 19, in the nineteen thirties, um, it was very common to hear people say that um, democracy in the uh, in the West. Um, was decadent, etc., and that the only alternative was a strong man, a dictator, which is why um, leaders like um, Mussolini and Adolf Hitler and Stalin became, um, you know, became uh, became uh, the thing. Yeah. And uh, the democracies were seen as weak and fragile and rotten from the inside, and to a certain extent, that they, they possibly were. But the strength of the democracies was not in the multiplicity of voices, but in the fact that in their culture, there was a belief in right and wrong that was bigger than all the voices. And and also bigger than the guy. Yeah, bigger than the guy. Bigger than the guy. So then if you had to think, okay, applications for like today and tomorrow, how, how now shall we live you know with this in mind are there things that you would say um that maybe even like christians or non-christians but that we're living in that we've adopted because it's very easy to adopt certain ideologies because of the world you live in mm-hmm. um and then you kind of realize when so, i mean i've realized you know someone's talking you're like whoa hey i actually there's some weeds growing in there that i need to yeah. pull that have just yeah. come up because i live in a world like this like what what are takeaways from this that you like? Okay, well, make sure that you are that there's none of this in your life, and there is a lot of this in your life. Like, what would you say? Sure, that's a great question. I, I suppose for me, it it does come back to, um, you know, the two great commandments are love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your might, and love your neighbor as uh, as yourself. And so I think you know. Life begins in knowing God who is true. And and actually, you know, there's that scripture that, that says, um, if your eye is um if your eye is good, your whole body will be full, uh, full of light. But if your eye is uh, bad, um your whole body will be in darkness. And how great is that darkness? Mm-hmm. That word good is actually the word haplos, and it means single. And you know, it just adds strength to your life when you are single minded when you realize no some things are true and some things are not true and the things that are true are the things that god says are true you know so what god says about you what god says about life what god says about marriage what god says about family um what god says is good is good what god says is evil is evil yeah um i think something also on that like practically, it would be to realize that the more you the more you study the word, the more you find what God says, what is true. And sometimes your feelings, because of upbringing, because of friendships and relationships, will bulk at it. Mm. Like I think it's a good thing to just acknowledge that sometimes you'll read something and you're like, oh, okay, like didn't I like that. I don't like that. And there's a couple of things to do in that instance. One, I would recommend going to just a trusted leader. Because sometimes, sometimes you've misinterpreted something and your spirit is bulking. Yeah, you know? yeah that's and also I true. And I think it's important to go to someone that you trust and say, "Hey, the, I've read this thing, and I don't like it because I feel this." And you actually go and be honest with that leader, 
And then there's a couple of things that can happen. A, maybe the leader's like, oh, you've misinterpreted that. That's not what it's saying at all. But if it, if it is right, that person will maybe be able to reframe it and actually put it in its context and say like, yes, but this is what it is saying. This is why it's saying that and help you to see the intention because God's intention is kindness. Mm. He's kind and he's good. So sometimes you need to just see the intention behind that. Just like a two-year-old is like, we'll throw a tantrum because he can't stick a fork in a plug. And the big mean mommy is telling him he can't. Or like, no, sorry, bubs, you cannot eat the cat's poop. You just cannot. And the toddler will throw a tantrum. But there's a real good intention behind this that the little person can't see. But as that person learns and grows, they realize, wow, that was so kind of mom. Um, and I think it works the same with the Lord. So I think sometimes you can find something that you go, you're like, oh, I don't like that. So one would be find a leader or find a friend that you re- that you really trust their relationship with the Lord and just speak to them about it. And then the other thing would be, okay, after that, if I have found this to be true and my community and the people around me have found this thing to be true, then you obey and mm. you do that thing and you allow your feelings to follow. Because yeah, feelings, feelings of followers, they should never be leaders. Hundred um, yeah. percent. I, I, I'm gonna end off just by coming back to just the the whole general principle. We'll do a series on these on these commandments, but I think I just love the fact that actually in God saying, "I am the Lord your God; you shall have no other gods before me." He gives you the first principle for a um, for a prosperous life, mm-hmm. and it's not because God's you know, God's Wanting to be mean to you, he's just telling you how reality works. Yeah. So when it's a God cheat sheet, when yeah, you know, when God says, um, "I am the Lord your God; you shall have no other gods before me or and besides me," he's basically saying some things are true and some things are not true. There is truth, and actually, all of prosperity, all of progress, all of knowing life stems from that point. Knowing that there is truth, and, uh, yeah. and as opposed to in today's, there are no other gods. Yeah, there's demons. <laughs> no, there's demons. Yeah, but there is there's no other gods. Well, I mean, you see, the 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 converse of that is, uh, you know, you've got God, and God gives us absolute truth, yeah. because God exists. In the absence of God, you've got, re- um, you've just got relativism. Yeah. And relativism is just another word for humanism, where every man is his own God. And when you get to that, it's just chaos. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it's yeah. it's just chaos. Yeah. yeah. Good chat. Yeah. Interesting. We'll kick we'll off on that. Yeah. So we would love to hear from you what your thoughts are on this. If you have any questions or, you know, mm-hmm. we'd love to hear from you. So uh, mm-hmm. send us an email to... Uh, info at noordinarylife.co.za uh, with your comments. We would love to hear from you. Yeah, and enjoy your week, and we'll see you next Thank you for listening to Rabbit Trails. Tune in next week to listen to our next podcast. <laughs>